Welcome to Sex Care is Self-Care, a conversation for women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. If you're a parent, you're probably wondering when is the right time to start the conversation surrounding sex with your young children? And this specific topics that are important to discuss. Dr. Christine Vaccaro and Dr. Sherelle Inglesia are here to discuss how to navigate this major parenting milestone. And I remember being there, ladies. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's a must. So Dr. Vaccaro, we're going to start with you. What age would you recommend starting this conversation about sex? Thanks, Patty. And this, this uh, subject is near and dear to my heart as I have now a nine-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter. Um, and, you know, I remember a pediatrician telling me years ago when my children were much younger in their early childhood development, telling me that as soon as you think your child can understand the concept, that's when to have the conversation. Um, and, I, and I was kind of shocked by that. Um, and I said, well, how, how early are we talking here? And he said, you know, as early as four years old, which again, to me, um, I was brought up pretty in a pretty conservative family. Um, and I'm gonna throw my mom under the bus here a little bit. She had the conversation with me when I was 18, after two years of dating seriously, maybe a little bit too, too late to wait. Um, but, you know, when you have a conversation with, with young children, what it does is it destigmatizes sex um, and it, shows them it's a normal, natural human function. And it gives them permission to be curious and ask questions about their bodies and their body parts um, because every body part has an important function. Um, although the caveat is the appendix, we still don't really have an idea of what that function is. But most, most bodily organs have a function. And um, you know, every child though has their own journey. So you don't ever wanna force it. Um, you, you know, if, they're, if you don't think they're quite ready, um, either maturity level, or developmental level, it's certainly fine to wait. Um, so for my children, and this might not work for everyone, I found a great book to use as a resource. And I love this book. And there's actually a series of them. And um, it's called, It's Not the Stork. And it's written by Robbie Harris and Michael Emberley. And it covers those endless questions you get from the preschool, kindergarten, early elementary children about, you know, how they were you know, how they began, where did they come from, where are babies from, um, and it's, it's perfect because it's age appropriate, again, a suitable for kids over four, um, and it's also just, uh, I just looked it up the other day, it's on the New York uh, Times bestseller list, so it's certainly um, a parenting favorite of sorts, um, so I, I highly recommend that resource. Um, another one for young kids, kind of written by the same authors, is a one called It's So Amazing, um, and this is for ages seven and above. And this book provides accurate, unbiased uh, answers to nearly every conceivable question about reproduction, birth, babies, um, and then you know just giving children a healthy understanding of their body. But I think the most the most important thing to remember is just make sure it's it's age appropriate information, which um, I think Dr. Iglesias will touch on as well. <laughs> I think that's great to have these books because then it gets, it helps the parent to become comfortable to have those conversations. Dr. Inglesia, how do you tailor your conversations based on your child's age and maturity level? 
You know, I feel a little hypocritical answering this question because I think I did a lousy job. <laughs> you know, I am a board certified OBGYN and I actually think I gave too much information, which probably scared my children. <laughs> Maybe scared them, but hopefully not. Anyway, I, I think that, um, I think the, the, the part of your question that's probably more important is that maturity level and that level of curiosity. And, you know, I, I do have to say, I think there's cultural norms. I think people have religious um, overtones on how they can approach uh, talking about sex uh, with children. But age appropriate to me means just being able to answer the questions when they come up. You know, your toddler, two to five, let's just say somebody else has a baby or they see a woman who's pregnant or you are having your second child and they're like, where do babies come from? Mm -hmm. You know, I, of course, spoke about sperm and eggs. <laughs> and probably went through the whole hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access. Now that was probably not the right thing to do, but I do think it's important to understand, you know, it's not the historic that, that we have sperm that come together with the eggs, they reunite and they form an embryo. And bottom line is you can get that from a donor. <laughs> there are other options. You can adopt children. I'm just saying, I, I think that we have to broaden um, that and just be comfortable even saying sperm and egg. Now, obviously, when the child becomes six, eight, and you know, they're a little bit more aware of body parts and differences, gender differences between um, male and female, they have seen you naked, and you know, they see that dad has an appendage that's different from moms, perhaps. I think it's important to talk about the anatomical terms at that point. And I distinctly remember, we were at the Kennedy Center here in Washington seeing some kind of show. And there is a uh, statue, a fountain with Poseidon. Anyway, I just remember my like four-year-old going, I see that guy's tentacles. <laughs> It was testicles, but very close, very close. And I just think that's important so they can understand uh, the differences in genitalia and using those anatomically correct terms. And then one of the blessings about puberty and the times before puberty are that there are a lot of biological changes that are occurring. And that gives a lot of opportunity to talk about the hormones, talk about um, breast buds, talk about pubic hair. And we can go more on about that, I think probably in our next segment when we talk about that. But I think that that's kind of like age appropriate right. to some degree. And there is an, an aspect, and I, I think we'll talk about that as well, about just understanding the no touch zones, particularly for young children, which I- We're gonna uh, talk about that, I yeah. promise. I know so much. You see, yeah, how there I, is so much to cover, especially in this topic, because there's so many parents asking and they want to know what, how do we talk to our children about this? I and it, I, I think first and foremost, it is about helping that parent 
both. It shouldn't be just on one. It should be on both parents to but get I comfortable think, with the conversation. But I think you have resources with, with your pediatrician yes. and with your librarians. I mean, you've mentioned a lot of books and I think there, there's a lot, there's a lot more that our, that our librarians can help us, you know, in this matter. We can talk a lot about books. <laughs> Dr. Vaccaro, what do you, what are some of the other areas that you think is important to cover? Thanks, Patty. I, 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 was, I could go on so much here, but I'm just going to hit a couple highlights um, because, again, most kids wonder so much and have so many questions about sex. They're so curious. Um, they're, they're like little sponges, so they just want to know more and more and more. And I think one of the most important things is just to make sure that they understand that it's perfectly 100% normal to want to know about sex and, mm -hmm. and that as parents, we should be open and honest with our discussion, just like uh, Dr. Glacey said in talking about the anatomic terms, which I think we'll go into and why that's important. Um, and to normalize the existence of their different parts um, as another amazing thing their bodies can do and, and kind of, again, just talk about the different, the different body parts and what they do. Um, and remember, if, if you don't talk to them, they will find the information somewhere else, either through an older friend, an older sibling, social media, the internet, et cetera. And that's maybe not where they should be getting the information. It should really come from someone trusted like um, the parent. Right. Then it's also important to remind them that sex is about a lot of things. It's not just about um, you know, the act of making a baby, but it's about their body changing. It's about growing up. It's about loving and caring about someone else. And it's normal to be curious. Um, it's about their biology. It's about health. Um, it's about respect for another person. So there's so many things that it's about that, that every little segment of that could go into a long conversation. But I really want to spend a little time talking about what we just brought up, which was inappropriate touching. And I think for young kids, this is probably the number one thing that needs to be heard loud and clear from kids. Um, and I always appreciated when I took my kids to their well-child visit that the pediatrician would always bring it up as well because they're also um, the ones that um, are advocating for kids' safety, you know, wearing the helmet, wearing seatbelts, and oh, by the way, you know, if another adult that's not your parent or me as your, as your doctor is asking to look in this swimming suit area, bathing suit area, that's, that's inappropriate. Um, and I shouldn't be asking to look or touch or send pictures, et cetera, of this um, area. And kids need to know that that is inappropriate and they need to inform their trusted adult, i.e. their parent. Um, so I think, again, Dr. Glace is gonna touch more on, on why it's so important for kids to know the anatomical terms. Um, but again, if the, if the parents know that the absolute thing they must teach their young children is, is about inappropriate touching of the, the, the genitals and anything basically covered by a bathing suit. I'm glad you brought this up because I think as a female, I've talked to so many, I mean, thousands on top of thousands. And so many times they have been taught that instead of using the correct name for the body part, they've been called nicknames like you know your lily your flower mm -hmm. whatever whatever yep. I think that that's you know that is teaching a woman shame I really do I agree and I think it's so important for us to have that conversation Dr. Inglesia would you would you talk about 
how important it is for yeah. a child to know exactly what that body part is called. It is important because of the potential for abuse. And you're, it's unfortunate. How many times are we hearing about football coaches, people of faith, uh, trusted, trusted teachers, um, the even the doctors who are taking care of the gymnast, um, and the trauma associated, the post-traumatic stress associated with this is lifelong. And it's an unfortunate thing because in our country, and I'll talk about women, one out of four women has been a victim of abuse. So understanding the terms, and I, I remember uh, when I was working with the American College of OBGYN on their patient education um, uh, pan, I was, you know, head of this patient education panel, the review panel. One of the things that they had was a, uh, a handout that was like three panels that had men and all the boy anatomy, and it would just pop up. And then you had the women, but I, it wasn't a big seller. And I think to some degree, we probably didn't have like the right audience for it, but I had a display it all over my house. <laughs> and that is important because I think they need to understand you can't just call this the TT or the PP. This is a penis. <laughs> These are testicles. <laughs> so when someone talks about blue balls and my daughter's like, what are they talking about blue balls? What's the balls? You know, I want them to be, you know, to understand that. The same thing, I mean, understanding the difference between a vagina and a vulva. Um, so you can tell you, uh, and you know, the anus. These are terms that we shouldn't be shamed about because these are what we were born with. And it's not just for bathroom function. And I think that understanding that and the differences helps uh, decrease that shame, but also helps with the communication um, because they're, you know, I've had 80 year old women who don't know that where the clitoris is. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> that was a gap in education. Um, so obviously speaking about the clitoris and then that is your favorite organ, Dr. Fakara. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I think it's most know, of ours. The function. And then we get into all the mystical. That's the whole thing is that people are trying to make this kind of a mystical thing, which I understand the mystery and the romance. But at some practical level, it's really important not to understand, I mean, to understand where everything is located and how it's, how it functions. Exactly. So when you do pop into your physician, you are not afraid to have that conversation. You know, your body parts and you're not saying I hurt down there and doctor has to say below your knees or above your knees. I, it, it's just, it's, it's important to take that shame out. And I want to bring one other thing when we're talking about anatomy is that, and I'm going to bring up pornography a little bit because a lot of the images that a lot of, let's face it, people are seeing this on the web and they're getting the images and then they think that they look abnormal. Let's say particularly like labia minora, the, 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 the inner lips, which has, which have very different differences, appearances and lengths and widths and colors and everyone thinks that the ideal is looking like that Barbie doll. 
it's really important for um, uh, a young woman um, to understand that there are many variations and understand the difference between the where the where the labia connect and um, the clitoral hood and how it may not be the best thing to just think that you can do some plastic surgery on this area because there could be some issues that can occur. I think we should do a podcast on that set, like totally just about cosmetic surgery of the genitals. I think that would be really a, a great topic to add on to our list. Um, yeah. but Patty, if, if I might, before we move on, I think yeah. um, something I read a while back about when my kids were a little younger um, was not only is it important, like Dr. Glaces shared, to, to know the anatomic terms moving forward, just about uh, health and education, but also it strongly dissuades predators. So if there was an instance of inappropriate touching and the child can verbalize to the predator, stop touching my vulva, my penis, my testicles, whatever, what that, what that says to the predator is, wow, this, this child has had some education and probably knows about inappropriate touching and is, is going to tell someone. Exactly. So it, it usually is a huge distractor for predators. And then when the child hopefully can tell their trusted uh, adult about what happened, they can say, use the specific terms. You know, his hand touched my you know, vagina, whatever, whatever it was, so that, you know, when we use, again, those other terms that were discussed that have no anatomic basis, it's, it's really hard to understand what particularly did happen. Um, so just wanted to share that other thing. It's, it's important for the health and safety of your child to discuss the appropriate anatomic terms to dissuade. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been my understanding that God forbid that this should ever happen to your child, but if that child was put on the stand if they do not know their body part and where they have been touched, it could be dismissed. And then somebody yep. is free to go do it to some, to another child. Exactly. So uh, if for no other reason, please parents listening out there, talk to your children, teach them the correct body parts. Mm -hmm. uh, don't be one of those parents that say it'll never happen here because as soon as we say something that crazy, it, that's when it does happen. Mm -hmm. So teacher children. Dr. Vaccaro, does scientific evidence provide support for fact-based sex education? Oh, absolutely. Most definitely it does. Um, and I actually wanted to share some specific language from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, where both Dr. Iglesi and I get a lot of our information. And this was a, a, a joint effort with um, adolescent healthcare and it was a joint committee opinion on sexual education. Um, and what it, what it specifically states that is that comprehensive sex education should begin in early childhood mm -hmm. and continue through a person's lifespan. They go on to say that education should be medically accurate, evidence-based, age-appropriate, and should include benefits of delaying intercourse, sexual intercourse, while also providing information about normal um, reproductive development, including contraception, which we'll go into, I think, um, probably in the teen segment. Right. And, you know, prevention of unintended pregnancies, as well as prevention of um, sexually transmitted diseases. And then finally, they kind of conclude with, you know, programs should not only focus on the reproductive development and prevention of sexually transmitted infections and, and unintended pregnancy, but also touch on forms of sexual expression. Um, healthy sexual and non-sexual relationships, gender identity, 
sexual orientation. And then just open, again, opening that door to, to have an open dialogue with um, the child about communication and recognizing and preventing sexual violence. The huge, huge um, subject of giving consent, which um, I'm gonna talk on later. I, um, and then just the, the decision-making of, you know, how decisions can affect you lifelong. So just having that discussion. So there's a robust amount of evidence in, this, in the scientific community, not only from American College OBGYN, but also from the American Academy of Pediatricians that, that specifically absolutely 100% endorses early childhood sexual education as well as lifelong sexual education. Yes, I wish there was more sex education in the school systems because it, it, it would help that child to really be able to understand their body and be able to make lifelong decisions for themselves. Um, speaking of which, Dr. Inglesia, mm -hmm. how do we talk to our young children? How do we teach them consent? Right. I, you know, I think um, the young children, uh, Chris, Dr. Vaccaro was talking about the bathing suit region. Bottom line is, no, no permission, no touch. <laughs> yeah. You cannot. Um, and I kind of would like children to know that they can speak up and if their gut's not right, that, you know, that's not right. You know, my mom said, my dad said, that's not right. You're not supposed to touch my vulva. You're not supposed to touch my penis. Get your hand off my butt. <laughs> Do not touch my breast. I think we have to give them this language um, because it, it actually, if we make this such a, a, an area of shame and, and when women end up um, getting older, the stakes get even higher. Um, not that they're not bad, but I feel like the problem is, is that a lot of the perpetrators will prey on um, the people who maybe don't have the skill set um, and the language to say, no, no, don't touch and tell someone he touched me, she touched me, whether it's their babysitter or a family member. I mean, that's such a huge problem um, with incest and um, just probably so difficult for, for children, you know, to wrap their hand around, for, particularly someone who's supposed to be protecting them. So it's another layer of um, their own for the child's own protection to be able to educate them to have the language so they can understand what is wrong and to trust their gut. There you go. I love that. Uh, Dr. Vaccaro, how do we as parents overcome feeling uncomfortable about talking about this? How, how do we get over that? Several shots. I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I talk about sex all day with my patients and I, it's like, I'm talking about, you know, something very boring, like, you know, making, making dinner. But when it comes to my kids, 
I'm just kind of like everyone else. It gets a little, I get really nervous when the conversation really matters and, um, and that sucks. It really, it really matters. And it's a, a subject that no matter, no matter if you're a sexual expert or not, it still can be uncomfortable as a parent. Cause you see your, your child react and kind of like, Oh, you know, my kids are like, Oh, here goes mom again. We're going to have to talk again. And, um, and again, like I shared before, you know, Trying not, trying not to wait too long because you're uncomfortable. You know, if you if you wait too long, I, I love you, mom. If you're watching, um, you know, sometimes you're gonna you're gonna miss those opportunities to um, to talk about a really important subject. So my my best advice is to use a guide, a resource, a book. Take some notes. Make sure you get your other partner on board with you, and make sure that you're both on the same page about what you want to say. Um, and sometimes, you know, you might feel like it's better to go one-on-one -on -one with your child. And sometimes it's better to have both parents there talking about it. Um, so you just kind of have to read the situation in your, in your child. And if they don't want to talk about it, you might not want to press the issue, but just leave them some age appropriate information if they're able to read, um, or a picture, there's picture books as well for, again, ages four and above, um, to maybe review on their own and then come back later when, when the time is right. Um, but always, always welcome your child's questions and encourage them to speak to you. Um, and sometimes, though, because it is a sensitive topic and depending on their age and maturity, they might feel uncomfortable talking to you. So just like we do with our patients, sometimes you have to ask the uncomfortable question because they might feel uncomfortable asking you. So sometimes you just have to just, you know, talk about it and be the one to open the door. And then again, normalize it, give permission to talk about it. Um, you know what's 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 absolutely not okay is is not having the conversation because that can put your your child at risk and so be brave if you need to have a drink or two just kidding but seriously um to have the conversation just just uh just have the conversation with your child and and it will be rewarding um i i wholeheartedly support it will be rewarding I think being able to provide that safe platform for them to be able to come to you is so important. I mean, it's kind of like putting on your poker face for me with my kids when they were younger, it was putting on the poker face. And like, even though you're somewhat like, I can't believe they're asking this. Are you kidding me? Um, being able to say, okay, let's, let's have this talk. Let's discuss yep. this. Um, and knowing that they could come to you, I would much rather for them to learn from a parent than from a friend, their peers. It, that, Absolutely. That's not a, not a good thing. And speaking of which, I want to go back to something else you said. You know, having those books are really amazing and wonderful, but I've had so many women in my lifetime come to me and complain because they have said, well, this is how I learned about sex. My mom handed me a book and told me to read it. But there was no person that they felt they didn't feel safe enough to go back to the parent and say, I've got questions about this. So if you're going to hand your child a book, let them know that, hey, after you read this, or if you have questions while reading this, please know you can come to me or even better yet, read it together. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Reading it together, I think is the absolute goal. Yes. Um, if, again, if they're pushing away, you give them the information, but you say, like, just like I would do with my patients, it's not that much different. I'm going to give you this information, and then we're going to schedule a follow-up to talk about it. 
Yeah. You don't, you don't get a free pass just to say, oh, I, I gave my child something to read about and then have no follow-up. So you, the, the follow-up is critical. Absolutely. Um, and frequently having little, um, touch is probably the wrong word here, but little check-ins, um, little check-ins with your child along the way as they develop um, about everything in their life, right? Not just about sex, but about how they're doing in school and how they're doing with their friends and all the other aspects of development. This is just one more of those check-ins that needs to happen. There you go. Uh, Dr. Inglesia, how do you make how do you make sure that you don't make assumptions about gender identity or sexual orientation? Yeah, I mean, for me, this this is actually personal, given the fact that we have um, gay family members, and I can re- and we have transgender in our family, and I, yeah. Um, and I can remember uh, we were going, my children were very, they were the flower girls and my husband was the um, best man at a lesbian wedding. And I, I, and I was just talking about this and then my little girl, I'm, she was probably three. And she was like, yeah, 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 we know mom, you said it before, there's all different kinds of families. I said, oh, okay, okay, so we're all, we're all good. <laughs> all different kinds of families. And love is love. And, you know, I think that Pride Week and certain, maybe even some mainstream shows, Modern Family have have helped us with this. But I do think that we have a problem because um, there are so many communities where it's frowned upon. I, I, I feel that's difficult, particularly if you're in a community and you have some, um, differences in your sexual orientation or your gender identity and you don't feel in and there's no one to um no one to talk to you know that becomes a very uh, lonely probably um kind of situation where no one can identify you can can identify with this so you know i would say um um, try and be at least as judgment-free as you can. There go. There also are live. There are very. There are books about this too. Even for little kids, I think there's one called Heather has two mommies. I mean, I'm just saying, it is. You want your children um, to feel loved, to be able to speak with you. So you have to be able to listen in a way that is a, that you're not going to, they're not going to feel judged or like, what are you talking about? Or like, no, 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 that's not possible. Again, that's not going to help with the conversation in, in strengthening the relationship. So it's a touchy subject, I think, in a, in a lot of areas, but it's a very important one. I think, again, you're saying that if you have these conversations with your child and they know that you're open for questions that they're going to feel more comfortable when they see two men together or two women or um, a, a child that it, you would think was supposed to be the pirate comes to school as the princess. Um, and I think that, you know, being open to these conversations are so important. So kids do not develop um, this attitude of that's wrong, you know, um, acceptance. I think that's the word I'm looking for, acceptance right. and, and being able to, again, say love is love, you know? And the it's, stigma. It's yep. the stigma. stigma. And it's, it's an unfortunate thing. And so, 
you know, hopefully, uh, and, and, and sometimes, you know what, you're going to probably, as they get older, there may be some times where it's just not going to, you're not going to change someone's mind. It's such, it's such, so black and white for some people. Yeah. And then I think that's where you need some boundaries, you know, and, you know, get yeah. some healthy boundaries so that we'll agree to disagree. But I, you know, I feel uh, very, um, because I've seen it even in my own family and I feel really um, sad um, for people who have had to struggle being their true self and being able to love who they want. It is a terrible thing. And so I think, you know, as a parent, you know, at least steer them in the right direction for the counseling or the help that they would need to get, you know, even if you don't think you can provide it for whatever reason, judgment-free. Yeah, Judgment-free. So important. If you don't mind, I'll share a, a cute, I don't know, not cute, but an odd thing about me. So I was also kind of sensitive to this topic growing up too, because I was um, I was always a quote unquote tomboy. So I didn't kind of fit the, the stereotypical girl role. Um, I didn't like playing with dolls. I preferred getting dirty and playing sports and learning well, you how did to go to West Point. You <laughs> <laughs> are a colonel. <laughs> you know, so I think my whole life I've sort of fallen out of the traditional um, female roles. Though clearly I, you know, I identify with my own gender. I'm cisgender, meaning I, I was born female, I identify as female. But um, I think for children, for parents, it's important that, you know, even if your girl likes to play with, with trucks in the mud and your boy likes to dress up occasionally, those are all um, can be normal forms of expression for children. And it doesn't necessarily make, um, make them want, you know, in the, the other gender role, though I think we have to also not... Um, ignore signs about children either and their identity when it does it's not matching what their gender was assigned at birth. So even though it's less common, don't assume. And if if you have questions and think that your child has questions, again, not to be afraid to ask how they feel about their gender, because um, gender is a feeling. Um, and, and make sure that you know you're you're exploring that and having that conversation. But you know, I think we stereotype a little bit too much about gender roles and those are things that society kind of places on us. Um, so I encouraged my kids to to do all sorts of sports my my boy and my girl were wrestlers um my boy and my girl did gymnastics um and having them be free to explore all sorts of things um that are maybe more traditionally one gender or the other i think is actually really healthy and and good for them for self-expression there you go well i want to thank my guests dr christine vaccaro and dr sharon glacia for the great conversation. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health and our six focus areas, visit thepattybrisbanefoundation.org. And remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters.